I feel like we've been to church, amen? Man. I bring greetings from the churches of El Salvador. Had a great time this past week with Paul and Diane Newhouse and Lewis and Paula Isaacs and Sixto and Wilmer Rivera. And I tell you what's exciting is the monies that were brought down here by the children, seeing the children there that are being benefited by able to go to school and able to go on to college and everything else. It is exciting, the work that's going on. And as we get closer to our harvest time uh, in February, I'll be sharing more about our trip down there. But thank you for the prayers. Thank you for Lance for the great job he did last week. We are in our third week of our series, Good Clean Living. We're talking about what does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to live into the life that Jesus is calling us to? To kind of get back to the basics of what this is all about. And it's not just so that we live a more profitable life and uh, we're happy and our kids are happy and that type of thing. We are carriers of the gospel message. So what are some attributes about our life that we can embody? So as we carry the gospel message, as Paul talked about, there's a receptive audience. Seeing how we're living, how can we carry that on? And so we began week one with holiness. Now, I don't know how many of y'all remember the challenge we had. Let's show a couple of pictures. You guys remember this? This is Martin, and then we got Deborah and Leland also. And we ask you, put holiness on your mirror, right? And so when you're getting ready in, in the morning, you'll be reminded, hey, I am a holy person. I'm reflecting the holiness of God. And I have to tell you, I'm going to throw out some things like that. Just get used to it as your preacher. Okay, if, if this is not you, that's fine. And if, if you're living into a holy life without doing some of these things, great. Praise the Lord. But if you're struggling and, and you're wanting to go deeper in your relationship with God, try some of these physical things that help, uh, at least help me, to live into life God's calling us to. Well, our next trait when we're talking about good, clean living comes from Psalms 97. So if you have your Bible, open it up or open up your app. Uh, if you have a, a paper Bible, it's directly in the center is, is the book of Psalms. And let's look at Psalms 97. Well, this psalm fits into what's called enthronement songs. And it's songs talking about God as our king. And what does that mean? And so they're songs not only to glorify God, but they also give us unique insight into the qualities of the ruler, but also give us uh, insight into the priorities of his rule. So if you're filling out your sheet, that's your first blank, qualities of the ruler priorities of his rule and so we need to look and say okay what is the psalmist trying to get across in psalms 97 to help us understand who god is so let's look starting in verse 1 of psalms 97 the lord reigns let the earth be glad let the distant shores rejoice and so what the psalmist is saying is the god that we worship is sitting on his throne. He's there watching over all of this. He's in control. I don't know about you, but Friday night, are you? is that the image that you have? That God is there. God is in control of all of this. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that, that his power extends from shore to shore, and that he truly is in control of things. 
And sometimes the Lord needs to come back and remind us in dramatic ways that indeed his reign continues. Let's look in verse 3. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains just melt like wax before the Lord. Before the Lord, all of the earth, the heavens proclaim his righteousness. And all the peoples see his glory. That's the powerful God that is in control of all of this. That's the powerful God through which we reflect his goodness to everyone around. So it's a powerful, magnificent God that even the mighty mountains just melt. The things that we think are just incredible in this world pale in comparison. Okay, so I want us to go back to verse 2, but don't look at it. Don't look at it yet. I just want you to look up here on the screen and let's read it because it's going to be the key passage for us as we go forward this morning. Psalms 97 and verse 2 says, Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Blank and blank are the foundation of his throne. Okay, so if you're thinking about our Heavenly Father, what attributes would you use, qualities of God, to fill this in? Because there are two things the psalmist said kind of undergird or, or balance in his whole administration, what he is about, our Heavenly Father, is built upon these two principles that serve as the foundation. What would you put in there? Well, I started asking some folks around High Point on Wednesday night, and I just said, hey, here's a card. These are some blank. Please fill these in with what you think God would say. Uh, these are the qualities that undergird who he is as a person. And by and large, what I got most was love and grace. And my first thought is, wow, the churches of Christ are changing. Praise the Lord. Isn't that fantastic? Because that would not be what my parents would have said growing up, right? Well, Psalms 97 to verse 2 says, Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So the psalmist goes with righteousness and justice. Raise your hand. Is that what you were thinking? That God is a righteous God and it's justice. That that is, is what undergirds everything that he's about. I mean, that's not generally what we think, but the psalmist says that's very important for us to understand this, okay? So it becomes this supporting structure of God's kingdom. And, you know, Lance talked a little bit last week about justice, but I want to kind of treat these two as a unit because Scripture does the same thing. So I want to look at the companion values of justice and righteousness. Well, the word for righteousness in Hebrew is tzedek. So uh, what that means is, um, when you're talking about this righteousness, is uprightness and equality. And we're talking about God. And what he, he's stressing is to give all their due and to hold things in balance. That's what righteousness means. And the word for justice in the Hebrew is mispat, or the Lord discerns, uh, the Lord orders, the, the Lord directs and determines everything according to truth and integrity. So we like that. We like when things are right and we like when things are true. So if you take them together as a unit, righteousness and justice are used by God to undergird and manage the entire world. 
okay? Well, this combination of righteousness and justice is not just here in Psalms 97. In fact, it's all throughout Scripture. And as you're reading in your personal time of study, look for these two things together. In the book of Isaiah, 18 times we see this pairing of justice and righteousness. And I want us to look at one in particular in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. It said, for us, a child is born. Getting ready for Christmas, right? And to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with, get ready, justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So what Isaiah is pointing to is, just as the psalmist says, that's our Heavenly Father. That's what he's about. He's like, this child of promise is coming, the Messiah. And just as the zeal of the Lord is put into him, and as Jesus will later declare, not my will but yours be done, this Messiah is going to be all about justice and righteousness. So it's exciting seeing all this come together. Okay, that his rule will be upheld by this justice and righteousness. What about us? Well, kind of going back to Psalms 97, it, it says that when we look at Yahweh, we look at our Heavenly Father, it's supposed to trigger or set something off in us that we're supposed to kind of get into this justice and righteousness as well. Okay? So we respond to the majesty of the Lord by embracing his foundation as our foundation okay what does it mean for us to uphold righteousness and justice you know the religious western mindset and we start talking about righteousness what, what do we think of we, we think of like personal piety of being a good person you know we think about being moral and a right upstanding citizen you know in front of everyone right and when we think about justice, we think of living and acting according to kind of a set of principles or a moral code. We also think about justice. Don't we also think about our enemies? Who are like, well, God's a just God, and that's good news for me, but watch out. What that means is at some point in the future, hopefully sooner than later, you're going to get your comeuppance, right? You know, this justice, uh, God's smackdown is, is coming. So we think of righteousness, we also think about justice, right? So that's kind of what we're thinking. And while that's part, you know, of it, our righteousness and justice is more than being just good or acting right. Josh Graves, a friend of mine in Nashville, wrote this. Righteousness is not so much about a virtue. Are you righteous? He says it's about God's purposes for the world so we look in the hebrew scriptures and this this constant theme emerges concerning god's thirst for justice and righteousness in the bible means more something like restorative justice making things right as god intends in a fallen world and so we become the hands and feet uh, that help allow that to happen so we have God's justice and his righteousness in our hearts, and that puts our feet to motion. That puts our hands to work, saying we are agents of God to carry out 
what he says are this foundation for his rule in our lives, okay? Growing up, I must have coached soccer teams for both Maggie and Colby. And on one of the boys' teams that I coached, we had 12 boys. Seven of the boys, their parents were either divorced or in the midst of a heated uh, divorce battle. And so you think that didn't play out to what happened when we're out on the soccer field or when we're in practice. And so as I'm dealing with these boys in, in the midst of crisis, I have to say, how much do I want to get involved? God's given me an opportunity, and their worlds are rocked and, and are going through this. How can I minister to these families in the midst of it? When you've got dad bringing his new girlfriend and, you know, mom bringing her new husband, and the two of them are sitting, you know, and fighting, and the son sits down in the middle of the field. How much do I want to minister and get involved with that? Three years ago at Halloween, Jill was passing out candy. Our kids were back. And this little girl from her classroom came and knocked on the door and said, trick or treat, and Jill gave her candy. And she just stood there. And so Jill's thinking she's going to move on to the next house. And she said, Miss Cox, the way you talk about your family, that's not like my family. Can I just stay a while? And Jill said, no, go on to the next house. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but no. We just have to decide how much are we willing to bite off in ministry? How involved in people's lives are we willing to be to bring about just causes? To stand up for what's right, not just saying we're right. Let's live into the rightness of God. So to live a righteous life, we're called to stand for what is right. To stand for what is true. Psalms 82 verses 3 through 4 says, Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. You know, that's what our ministry to El Salvador, our, our work out in the community here with Community Lifeline and Samaritan Inn, and those of you that are putting the hours in with our community garden, what is that? is saying we want to do right things to embody right living and justice so that people in need, their lives will be different, not because of us, but because God is living through us, right? Psalms 97 and verse 10 says, maybe there's a little more to it. Let those who love the Lord hate evil for he guards the lives of his faithful ones delivers them from the hand of the wicked how many of y'all are getting sick and tired of evil in this world that's what i look forward to most in heaven is just the absence of evil the presence of christ we've got to be living that out right now that that's what we're looking forward to so to live a righteous life we're also called to stand against all that is wrong so we not only need to avoid evil and refuse to partake but we've got to stand up and confront when we th see things that are wrong. When we're passive or indifferent, at church, Satan wins. We've got to get off the sidelines and get active. You know, God guards the souls of his saints. We shouldn't be afraid. God says, just get out there. I will be with you when we're confronting uh, those that are promoting sin. I think sometimes the Lord has a real sense of humor. And I hesitate to tell you this story because I would much rather be the brunt of a joke or tell you about my 
failings, because I don't want to put myself as the hero of the story, but it, this is too good for us to hopefully learn from something that God used me in a, a couple years ago. I was in my office, and I was working on a lesson on Psalms 97. So I was writing down some of these thoughts and kind of writing this out, standing up for what's right and confronting what was wrong. And in my computer, if you go to my office, it's set up with, with dual monitors, which is nice. I've got my, my laptop, and I've got my big monitor. And so my lesson was up on the big monitor, but over here I just had the Internet open. And so as I'm writing some of these thoughts down and, and typing them in, uh, my MSN homepage changed, and a new crop of stories came up. And, and right in the big middle of that, I'm looking, and there was a, a sign from the Huffington Post, and the article said, White's only Christian conference held in Alabama. And so I'm like, oh my, here I am at Huntsville, and then this is going on. And so I, I clicked on it, and I quickly scanned the article, and it was the Church of God's Chosen near Winfield, Alabama. It said they were holding a Christian conference uh, for all, and everyone was invited as long as they were white. Because the uh, people that were hosting it said, we don't have separate facilities available to accommodate minorities. And it said that the event was sponsored by the Ku Klux Klan. And it would be culminating that night with the traditional cross burning. And so I'm staring at this screen about God's truth and confronting what's wrong and, and looking for ways to confront evil. And on the other, I've got this story. And I'm like, what do I do with this? How do I reconcile this? Well, our family was reading through the Bible in a year. And that morning, our passage came from Isaiah 56 and verse 1. It's like, maintain justice and do what is right. I'm like, Lord, I, I'm getting a message that you feel I need to can stand up and do something about this. And so I felt like I've got to get in my truck and go drive and talk with these people. And Jill was like, what? Are you sure? You know, okay. But my kind of my litmus test or, or my fleece for the day is I don't want to go alone. And so about noontime, I started um, putting out feelers with text and with emails and phone calls. And my basic message was this, is I'm thinking about driving out to the deep woods of West Alabama to tell some members of the KKK that I don't approve of their whites-only gospel message, want to come. So... <laughs> I, believe it or not, I didn't have any takers. <laughs> The closest thing I had was my insurance agent, Brian Bellamy, said, well, I would, but at 5 o'clock, I had to go pick up the kids from the babysitter. And, well, he ended up calling me at 2 o'clock and said, hey, I got the babysitter to stay longer. Uh, you're still ready to go. And I was like, okay, I'm not sure now, you know? And <laughs> so I kind of resigned, Lord, maybe I'm getting ahead of you. Lord, maybe this wasn't what you were putting on. And then so I'm like, well, now I've got to go. Okay, so uh, let's welcome Brian. Brian's come all the way from Huntsville and wanted to share this story. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, so Brian, literally a dozen guys said, when I invited them to go, said, no, you're crazy. I don't want no part of this. Why did you decide, okay, I'm going to go with the crazy preacher. You know, why did you want to do this? Well, I remember saying that... Uh, I kind of, are you serious? Is this a joke? And he said, no, I'm serious. And I said, you're crazy. Do you really understand? 
you know, where we're going. And, and you got to understand, Huntsville, uh, Alabama, I mean, if, you know, there's stereotypes about the state. I mean, beautiful state. Uh, I've talked to actually some of you people that are from North Alabama. And uh, Huntsville is a really uh, incredible town, high-tech, very diverse, a lot of people that have moved there from all over the country. Marshall Space Flight Center with NASA is located there. Missile Defense is now stationed there. It's a hub. Research Park and Bellant. There's more uh, PhDs per capita in the city of Huntsville than there is any other metro area in, in the country. So this is what Brad is used to. Uh, I, I, it's what's going through my head. And me being from the state of I grew up in a small town in Jackson County, which is near Chattanooga, and grew up on a farm. So I'm a familiar a little bit with the rule setting that we're going to. And, you know, one reason I really felt like I needed to go is to make sure that Brad got back to Jill and the kids alive. So <laughs> because I was worried, you know, he, he's got a tendency to wear some, uh, you know, some Paisley shirts, some shirts that are sometimes, you know, I don't think he understands. That's probably not going to go over real well with some of the folks that we're going to be meeting today. So, so when he, he first told me, obviously, I, I'd, I'd had issues. I got three small children. And, so I called my wife, and I said, you would not believe what Brad just called and asked me to do. And I tell her about it, and she's like, you need to go. And I'm thinking, she's going, no, you're not going. She's like, you need to go. And what was going through her head and my head is being from the state of Alabama, you know, if there's a movie about racism or race relations from the 60s or 50s or 70s, there's a 50% chance the movie was set in the state of Alabama. So it still lived out there. Yeah. Exactly. And um, I felt like, you know, there's been a lot, of, while there's a long way to go, in that struggle, I feel like we've come a long way. So I'm like, you know, I, I don't appreciate this. This is my state. Again, we're on the national map with this story. So I want to help. I want to I go down there and confront these guys. Okay, um, so, so we're about an hour and a half out, outside of town by Phil Campbell, and we got pulled over by a highway patrolman because I was changing out my headlights, and I only had one in. The grill was off and everything, and so he used that as an opportunity to pull us over. When, when I came home, when I came, uh, Brad picked me up at the airport last night, and we pulled into his home, and I'm like, there's the Toyota truck right there that we rode. Um, you got, when I, when I went, I guess I met you at the house yep. when we left, and I said, hey, Brad, you're, you don't have a headlight on your truck. He said, oh, it's fine. It's July. We'll be home before dark. We'll be fine. So we're on this stretch of four lane, and you got to understand, once you get outside of Huntsville, and we get on the other side of a, another pretty large town, Decatur, there's not a whole lot. I mean, there's, there's small towns every once in a while. I think we'd see a gas station every 10 miles. We're on this four lane stretch, and we get pulled, about, pulled over by the state trooper, and the state trooper comes up and says, hey, you, t you don't have a headlight, and Brad explains to him what we're doing and where we're going. So he we're on a mission from God. Headlights yeah. don't matter. Yeah. So... We've got plenty of light from the Lord. So he takes Brad's uh, license, goes back to his, his uh, squad car, and he comes back, and he's, he's like, now, I'm going to just let you off with a warning. You boys, Mr. Cox, I admire you for what you're doing, but uh, he said he was a believer. He's believing. He said, you guys, y'all don't need to go down there to Lamar County. Those boys are crazy, and if you do go, Y'all don't stay too long. Y'all need to know when to leave, okay? So, so uh, he gives us our, uh, the, his license back, and we're on our way, and we spent another hour down there. And um, So we arrive in Beaverton, Alabama, and we're back in the sticks. But just kind of describe the scene as we kind of drove into town and everything. Well, we're on a winding country road, and I'm familiar with this. You know, this is kind of the area type area I grew up in. 
and we, f we drive by the road that we need to turn onto twice. We've got a Garmin, and we still missed it twice. It, it was kind of like the Batcave, you know, with right. limbs covering over the, the it's way. It's a dirt road. You're thinking, you know, we're going to end up back in some limestone hole uh, being dumped forever. Um, and we drive down the road. We're going down a dirt road for almost a mile, and we finally come up on this, this driveway, and we see in the back this home, and there's some people standing out there, and we're kind of looking through the trees, and we're like, I think this is it. So we pulled the truck on the... And we, and we talked. We're like, if anything shakes down, there's no one going to hear gunshot for a mile. I mean, we're no, way no, back we're, in there. I mean, it's remote. It is as remote as you can imagine. So we get out, and we start walking into the driveway. We leave the truck out the road, and we have, what, a dozen guys mm -hmm. come up, and most of them are young, and they kind of confront us. But they're wearing T-shirts yes. that said KKK, the original boys in the hood. Okay, so we're like, we have found, we're in the right place. We're in the right place. <laughs> and um, so uh, Brad asked, you know, there's like, hey, you know, uh, who are you? What are you doing here? And uh, keep in mind that there has been media there. There's been local civic leaders that have confronted them, made them take down a banner in town, near, which is, they're near the town of Winfield. It's a real small town. And uh, Brad asked, you know, he's, he tells us who we are and what we're, you know, we're there for, and he was wanting to speak to the, kind of the leader of the conference. And they bring out this- right. uh, Reverend uh, Mel Lewis. Now, yeah. just kind of paint the picture, there's a large house there and as you walk in, there's a large gathering area, and it's got these old wooden chairs from probably the 50s that have stenciled on the back, whites only on each chair. And then over to the side was a, a school bus that was kind of up on blocks where they educated uh, their young and taught them the scriptures and their view of that. But there's people all around. Uh, some are kind of milling around. Others are kind of sitting around this fire pit. And so... They still don't know if we're friend or foe, and so when they let us in, you kind of yeah. share what happened. Well, when we first got in there, we were kind of flanked. Like if you were going to, I don't know, confront someone in an adversarial manner, I've, we've got maybe a dozen people surrounding us, and the, the head minister, the, the gentleman, he's, I call him a gentleman, he's right here, and I've got two or three guys to my left, I've got guys back here to my right, and there's some guy over here, and he's messing with bailing wire. He's right I, behind me. Yeah, he's right, and Brad's here, so he's right there, and the, so there's a guy kind of in on me who's redheaded, and he's kind of like, I would say, the young leader. I would mm -hmm. compare him to, if you've seen the movie, A Time to Kill, the Kiefer Southern character. Mm -hmm. That's the guy he reminds me of. So. so we started talking with him, and I just asked about the flyers they put up around town. Uh, and I asked him, I said, why have you put this into place, this whites-only gospel rally? And they said, well, the rally was for the chosen ones of God. And why would we invite the Jews if they put Jesus onto the cross? And said, we're part of God's chosen people, the true children of Israel. Um, that their bloodlines go all the way back to the time of Adam. And I said, well, we all go back to the time of Adam. <laughs> he said, no, actually, there was a, a group of people, uh, the mongrel people that were uh, in Genesis chapter 1 created along with the wild animals uh, and the, the Jewish people as well. And then our bloodline started with the second creation account in Genesis chapter 2 with Adam and Eve. 
And so I said, well, okay, um, even if that's true, what about the flood? Because we kind of reset there, and it all goes back to Noah and his three sons. And he said, no, it was just a, a partial flood, and the impure people survived as well. So all this is just is a foundation for their way of, of looking at the world. Uh, but the, the pure bloodlines and lineage of Jesus came through uh, the bloodline of Adam and then on to Noah. And so about this time, we kind of split up, and some of the guys went and sat down. But you're with the younger gentleman, and I was with the older gentleman, and we're talking theology. Yeah, and we were there about 30 or 40 minutes, maybe 45 minutes. And, you know, Brad is just coming at this guy just bam, bam, bam with Scripture. And what was amazing is he's coming right back at Brad with Scripture. Uh, and the, and I'm kind of listening to them at times, but I'm also talking to the redhead. And I was trying to understand. He kept talking about the Jews and Jesus. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus was Jewish. Why? I mean, how can you sit here and talk about Jesus and the Jews when Jesus was a Jew? And he, he's like, no, Jesus was not Jewish. Read the Bible. You, you're not reading the Bible. You need to read the Bible. And I'm like, I don't understand. I just, I don't understand. Tell me what you mean by that. And he's, he pointed to a scripture uh, uh, that referred to David as, quote, handsome and rugged. He, they were talking about Adam and Eve and the, and the lineage. And I'm just, I'm in amazement. It kind of dawned on you and me. You're like, okay, y'all think Jesus is white. Yes. In the Middle East. And, you know, you know and, and we're just, and so, and so I'm like, Oh, okay. So, so we're sitting there, and I'm having a conversation. And I said, and I actually brought up John three sixteen. I said, you know, for God so loved the world that whoever. I said, whoever means everyone that believes in 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 uh, Jesus. And he said, well, yeah, everyone. But do you uh, can a dog or a monkey become a Christian? You know, are they saved by grace? It was incredible. And 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 I'm I'm just like, well. I believe that everyone, uh, you know, the gospel is for everyone. It never got real. I don't think it ever got what you would call it to the point where we felt like we were in danger. From it, it, I mean, we were scared, but it never got to the point where I felt like they were about to come at us to fight. Um, well, but it I, was very, yeah. very in your face, very, you know, we're right and you're wrong and you're an idiot for believing what you believe. That's what came across to so me. I, I brought up, you know, Galatians 3 and verse 26 that, you know, we're all sons of God, you know, through faith, faith in Christ Jesus. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And he immediately comes back with Matthew 7 and verse 6 that, man, you don't give to dogs what is sacred. You don't give to pearls to the swine or the scripture says, I'll tear you to pieces. And he said, which are you going to accept, Jesus' words or Paul's? So he started it as an either or. And so it was just incredible. And he says, I just think that you're, you need to read Revelation 22 about you're, you're taking away from God's uh, message and you're not going to share in his holy city. And so I gave up on, on trying to convince him that Jesus was indeed Jewish. But then we started talking about how the church and God's people had made true strides, especially in the South, toward breaking down barriers of race. Why in the world uh, weren't minority believers invited in this? And this was the line that just well, got us. And I'm saying it, I never felt like they were uh, dangerous. That may not be the right word. I felt there was 
there was sincere fear. It was almost surreal for a while because we're just kind of debating back and forth. But the redhead stepped towards Brad between me, kind of in front of me, and Brad's over here. And he looked at him with this incredulous look and said, why would we invite them? Why? Why would we invite them? They have no soul like that. And, uh, and that is, and I'm not, when I say this, and I've told Brad this, and we, we talked about this uh, at, at Twickenham when we came back, that I am, I, I played basketball collegiately. I have been in some rough areas uh, coaching I have, where I grew up on a farm. It takes a little bit to scare me, and I don't say it to brag. I'm just, I have been around a little bit. I've been overseas in the Middle East. I felt sincere fear, real fear at that moment. There was evil. evil. There was evil. evil. I was in the presence of pure evil. I felt Satan at that moment. And I don't say that I'm not a real touchy-feely guy. You can probably imagine. I felt it. And at that point, I'm kind of looking at Brad like, we need to go. It's time to leave. So Yeah, and we we told him at that point, I mean, we couldn't even consider them brothers, and it it was probably time for us to leave because the younger guys had gone over, and they were bringing out the cross and were attaching, using the bathing wire to attach some fabric on it for the cross burning, and it was starting to get dark, and I had one headlight, and I said, it's time for us to go. Yeah, and and that's what, you know, I looked at the bell, so that's what they're using the bailing wire for. They're bringing this cross out, kind of the climax of their weekend, and, uh, you know, and one of the things that was really sad to me is I see off in the distance, and you see these women that are there, and you see off in the distance these young children. And, you, and Brad talked about the bus where they did the Sunday school classes. So they're preaching this theology, if you call it, this, this article of hate to these children. And it, it was, I mean, it was scary. At that moment, you know, it was kind of funny just going down there and meeting the, the state trooper. But going back, I don't know if we spoke for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. I, I mean, I was literally like white, uh, just just so um, pale from what we had just been around. And I've been around being in the state of Alabama, growing up where I grew up. You're around folks that are prejudiced, that have, uh, you know, that, that have racist tendencies. But I've never been in front of somebody like that that just, it was, it was incredibly uh, surreal how, how devout they were in their beliefs. You know, and as we were leaving, I was wondering, was it worth coming out? Was it worth just going on the record? And he told us as we're walking out the gate, he said, you need to take some console in this. I said, well, what? He goes, you're the only Christians that have come out to talk with us. He said, we had some media types, but no person of faith has come out to talk with us and, you know, talk to them about their beliefs. And he said, he appreciated taking the time to do that. Now, Brian, when you and I were driving home, there's one thing that came out that we started talking about scripture. These guys are rattling stuff off left and right. And just share what you shared with me as we're driving back. Well, you know, and... While I'm in the scripture, and, and obviously I've got three small kids, so you can, if you've got small children, you can imagine what our lives are like. They're involved in a lot of different sports and stuff, but I've, I've really got to be more, I felt like I needed to be more intentional about getting into the scripture and memorizing verse to know, so I can articulate what I believe. I listen to Robbie Zacharias a lot, and uh, he's based out of Atlanta. He's an apologetic uh, minister. He's on a lot of campuses, uh, college campuses. He goes and preaches all over the world. 
And that was the biggest thing that I took away from that, not only for myself, so that I can prepare my children. I have a son who's nine. I have a daughter who's about to be seven. And uh, Maggie, who used to take care of my daughter, Haley still talks about Maggie. She loves Maggie. Uh, and I have a young son who's five. And, you know, I see on your, your wall over here, grow, connect, and serve. And I know in order for me to instill the values and to help my children to be courageous in, in the face of uh, things that, you know, in defending their faith and standing up for what they believe in to help them understand that they, there's going to be a cost at times. And I've got to grow and learn in Scripture. I've got to make sure that I'm in fellowship so that I can have people to hold me accountable. And if my kids are going to have that, then my word, I can't just be with words. I've got to do it with actions. And I've got to, I, something that I tell, tell my kids every morning when they go to school. Uh, and I got this, believe it or not, from Colt McCoy's dad. I heard him speak uh, about McCoy. two years ago, two or three years ago, uh, at a men's conference. Uh, men's retreat, and he always said to Colt and his other boys, when they left to go somewhere, whether it was to school or on a trip, you know, I love you, I'm proud of you, do your best, be a leader. And for when I talk about leadership to my kids, I always talk about servant leadership. And there's going to be a cost. We're in a culture right now, and it's been pretty evident in the last several months, that it's not popular to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. and, and for my kids, we want to speak truth with love we want to speak it with wisdom and discernment i believe but we got to speak truth and at times there's going to be a cost to it and to and and i worry and i think about it and it scares me for my children how do i get them to stand up for what they believe in uh in a world that is becoming more and more adversarial uh to them as christians the, the one thing i'll leave you with is is a statement that i've heard a lot that a lot of times we are preparing, preparing the path for the child. Now, speaking as a father here, when we need to be more concerned about preparing our children for the path, whatever that path may be. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, that was one of the things I took from it is, you know, and did we make a difference? I don't know, but you always heard the story of the, of the, of the, um, the minister or the preacher that's in the street at the corner, and he's, preaching the gospel and he's being mocked daily and thrown you know things thrown at him and somebody asked him why do you keep doing this you're not going to change anybody's mind you're not reaching anybody he says I'm not doing this for them I'm doing it for me yep. so that I may not change yep. so that's that's one of the things I took from it um do I you know I still you know we fall I fall every day but I know that when I, I think about that what what we what occurred and what we did that day that I think it's important for us that we constantly look for opportunities, that God will present us with opportunities to be bold and courageous in our faith and just, you know, stand up for righteousness and justice. Michelle Bryan, our appreciation. Thank you very much. Our final point this morning is to live a righteous life. We're called to reflect God's light in a dark world. This is what we talk about with holiness. It's not a righteousness or a justice that comes from us, but it originates with our Heavenly Father. Psalms 97 and verse 11 says, Light is shed upon the righteous and the joy upon the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise His holy name. 
That's what we've got to be about as his people. We're reflecting the holiness, the goodness, the righteousness, and the justice. What God has built his throne upon should be the throne, what we put the throne of our lives on as well, that same foundation. So we're called to be righteous and establish justice and bring healing and glory to a broken society. You know, when the, the division between races falls among brothers and sisters, when we look different than the world around us, God's justice is accomplished. You know, when holiness overcomes addiction, his, you know, his righteousness prevails. And we see socio and economic uh, differences. Those lines get blurred and the hungry are fed and the naked are clothed and no one among us in need. God's name is glorified. And when things are on earth as they are in heaven, as Jesus talked about, what happens is, is people start to get a glimpse. They're given a deposit of the world to come. So we've got to be about that, giving them a taste of God's glory and what this life is going to be. I want to close with a passage from Solomon in Proverbs 21 and verse 3. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. That's what, that's what we're called to do. And so as we leave today, uh, I hope that we'll rise above the minutia of, of everyday life to say, Lord, how can I step into your righteous, righteousness? How can I live on mission to bring about your justice? How can we be dispensers of God's glory to those who come around? Where are you this morning? As we talked about righteousness, I, I mentioned that righteousness doesn't come from us that we receive it from our Heavenly Father. And that happens, we join with the Son Jesus in the waters of baptism. That's where the change starts to happen. For those of you that have been Christians for a long time and you just feel like, hey, I'm sitting on the sidelines. I, I'm wondering what to do. We would love for you to come forward and allow us to pray and say, I, I don't know what it means, Lord, but I'm open. And we'd love to send you out with the Lord calling you to live in this righteousness and justice. If we can help you this morning anyway, don't hesitate. Come now as we stand, as we sing. There is a Redeemer, Jesus God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah.